are back. We're here again. Definitely aren't recording these back to back. We came back after another week. We did. Yeah. We're so fresh and not raw from talking about uh, the events after Columbine. Just yikes. It's <laughs> all right. Uh, I'm Haley. That's Caitlin. This is Crime Culture. Because I guess yeah. we're doing that now. We're sticking with it for two episodes. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. we are, we are. We'll see what the next um, one brings. So, again, this is going to be another long one, so I'm just going to dive straight in. So, in part one, we talked about the events of Columbine, the timeline and everything. Part two, we talked about what happened afterwards. We talked, uh, Caitlin graciously uh, recounted her experience of um, an active shooter situation. There was zero grace in that entire thing, don't you? It's hard to lie. talk about. It's hard to talk about, and I'm sure people are going to appreciate it. Um we talked about the motives, the possible motives of um, Harrison Klebold and came to the conclusion that it's probably a little bit of everything. Um, and now we're talking about how Columbine, how the events at Columbine kind of just affected the whole country. Um, and I'm going to start by saying something called the Columbine effect. And mm. so, like I said, the effects at Columbine... Um, the amount of effect that it had on the American public can't be understated. Uh, at the time, it was the deadliest attack on a school in American history. The shooting was the most covered news story in 1999 and the third most followed by the American public of the entire decade. Damn. Yeah. And the, there was a lot of shit going down in the 90s. Well, and also this is the end of the 90s. Exactly. Yeah. So, following the Columbine shooting, schools across the United States instituted new security measures such as transparent backpacks, metal detectors, school uniforms, and security guards. Some schools implemented the numbering of school doors to improve public safety response. Several schools throughout the country reported, uh, resorted to requiring that students wear computer-generated IDs. Schools also adopted a zero-tolerance approach to possession of weapons and uh, threatening behavior by students. I don't know why it took until fucking 1999 for that to be a no-tolerance thing, but sure, whatever. Um, I, I think it's like how they don't realize there's a need for it until, until something, something happens. happens. Exactly. Like seatbelts. Yeah. They don't, <laughs> until enough people went through the fucking windshield, did they go, hmm, maybe yeah. we should, maybe we should uh, strap some of these some people in. Yeah. Um, but despite the safety measures that were implemented in the wake of the tragedy at Columbine, school shootings continue to take place in the United States at an alarming rate. Virginia Tech, Sandy Hook, and Stoneman Douglas are three subsequent school shootings that far surpassed the casualties of the 1999 mm. massacre, which amplified the already raised concern of gun violence in the United States. Mm -hmm. Also in the wake of the tragedy, police departments uh, reassessed their tactics and now train for Columbine like situations after criticism over the slow response and progress of the SWAT teams during the shooting. Again, it took them almost an hour to go into the school. Um, right. There could be a whole episode on the problem of, of guns in this entire case. I specifically did not get into how they acquired their weapons, the types of weapons. I made a conscious effort not to talk about the guns it is this yes. case is not about the guns yes again there could be an entire episode about guns this is not right. the case we're talking about the people here so i'm going to talk about some memorials because they're honestly gorgeous 
In the days following the shooting, Rachel Scott's car and John Tomlin's truck became memorials and impromptu um, services were held in Clement Park, which is the park adjacent to the school. Right. Uh, in 2000, youth advocate Melissa Helmbrecht organized a remembrance event in Denver featuring two survivor students and called it a call to hope. The library where most of the massacre took place was removed and replaced with an atrium. In 2001, a new library, the Hope Memorial Library, was built next to the West Entrance. On February 26, 2004, thousands of pieces of evidence from the massacre were put on display at the Jefferson County Fairgrounds in Golden. A permanent memorial to honor the victims, uh, to honor and remember the victims of the April 20th, 1999 shooting at Columbine High School began planning in June 1999. It was dedicated okay. on September 21st, 2007 in Clement Park. The memorial fund raised $1.5 in donations over eight years of planning. Wow. Yeah. Designing took three and a half years and included feedback from victims' families, survivors, the high school staff, and students, and the community. So they really wanted it to be something that involved everybody. People who were right. involved, everyone, the whole town was affected by it. Everybody yeah. in the area was affected by it. Soon after the massacre, music students at CU Boulder raised money to commission a piece of music to honor Columbine. The university mm -hmm. band turned to uh, Frank Ticelli, who responded by composing the wind ensemble uh, work called An American Elegy. The following year, the Columbine band premiered the piece at CU Boulder's Concert Hall. As part of 29, as of 2019, the um, sheet music publisher estimates that An American Elegy has been performed 10,000 times. Wow. Yeah. Damn. Um, so I, I talked a little bit about this in the timeline, um, but I'm, I do want to mention the uh, quote-unquote martyrs, the Christian martyrs. So in the wake of the shooting, victims Rachel Scott and Cassie Bernal became regarded as Christian martyrs by the even evangelical Christians. Uh, right. Christian churches used the martyr narrative of Scott's and Bernal's deaths to promote themselves and recruit members. Yeah. The closest living witness to Scott's death, Richard Castaldo, has stated Harris asked Scott if she believed in God and murdered her after she answered, yes, I do. But this has been questioned, and Castaldo later stated that he wasn't sure. In mm. a documentary that I watched, he was interviewed, and it it detailed, like, almost minute by minute, the events of uh the day and he never mentions this exchange he actually explicitly says wow he actually explicitly says she was the first one shot it happened in like two seconds and no one had any time to react so he okay. walked back that statement pretty quick yeah um, well i mean if he even said it yeah uh i will say that the christian martyr narrative is uh abhorrent and disgusting Yes. Because they raised up uh, Rachel Scott and Cassie Bernal, two beautiful girls, but they used them to recruit members when um, they weren't the ones who professed their faith at the end. <laughs> yeah, they used, they used them for their own agenda. Yeah. Valine Schnur, I believe, was the name of the girl who actually said that she yes. believed in God. I, yes, it wasn't. It wasn't Cassie Bernal. No. Again, you can really like dive into <laughs> to everything yeah. that happened with the Christian Church after this, but it's disgusting. Um, 
Another disgusting thing that happened after was the media response. So Lance Kirkland, who was shot five times, once in the face, had around 35 surgeries in the two years following the massacre. He said that one of the most challenging things he faced in this time after was abuse by the media. On the Ripples of Columbine special by Rocky Mountain PBS, he said, quote, they would say it would be a 30-minute interview, hour interview, and it lasted for almost three hours. And then they would cut it down to, you know, 30 seconds of me talking and spin my words. And that really showed me as a kid what people are really like, that everyone's out for themselves for their own gain. That was kind of a hard lesson to learn at 15, 16, but just seeing how adults could take advantage of you like that, end quote. Right. This kid went through one of the worst things that you could possibly go through and is like in still in therapy for like he was in therapy for it he was shot in the face right he had so much other stuff going on and still wanted to be of help and agreed to interviews but was kind of like abused for it um he goes on to talk about how his family didn't really help him set boundaries with the media um he has since cut out a lot of his family out of his life Um, In 2015, he started drinking heavily, as did another survivor, McKay Hall, who was injured in the library. Right. Um, But he has since recovered, and he's in therapy to talk about the PTSD from the event and how it affects his life every day. Mm -hmm. Connie Sanders, the daughter of Dave Sanders, who was the only teacher killed, uh, also talks about how the media affected her life. She said, quote, we were normal, and within a millisecond, we were on the front page of a paper in Japan. And we couldn't get out of our house because there were so many cameras in front of the door. Our family photos were stolen off the walls. People would come in to do interviews and just take the pictures with them. We couldn't go anywhere without people knowing who we were. We used different names. We shopped at different stores because we didn't want to relive that very moment at any given time. End quote. She, in, in the special, she says something that's like just heartbreaking. And something you wouldn't necessarily think of is that when she would be like recognized in public even like to this day if someone knew who she was they would stop her and be like oh i remember where i was on that day it's like yeah you're reliving your account of it but you're also making me relive what i was doing that day and what happened to me and how i who i lost like yeah inconsiderate honestly yes absolutely yeah um Another survivor, Heather Martin, said that in the weeks following the massacre, she was, quote, angry at the media for invading my life and keeping me from getting back to normal, end quote. Mm -hmm. Again, these kids, like, you're making them relive it over and over and over. Every interview is having to relive it again, and they just want to get back to normal. They want to finish high school. They just want to be with their friends and not have to think about it all the time. Yeah. And, And deal with their grief in their own way instead of publicly in the media and have people standing outside their door and waiting for them to come out like there's some type of celebrity like right it's weird it's weird um no so in december 1999 before anyone else had seen them time magazine published an article on the basement tapes the victims family members threatened to sue jefferson county as um because of the of the release of the tapes and as a result select victim families and journalists were allowed to see them beyond that they were kept from the public indefinitely for fear of inspiring future massacres i'm gonna say a little too late on that one there's plenty of other stuff that um was made widely available that Mm -hmm. um inspired future massacres but um the tapes have since been destroyed 
and there are only transcripts of some of the dialogue that I have quoted multiple times throughout these episodes. And there's short clips recorded secretly by a victim's father. The pair claimed that they were going to make copies of the tapes and send them to news stations, but they never did this. Um, Another thing I wanted to touch on was Rachel's Challenge. Have you heard of Rachel's Challenge? I don't think so, but I have been learning a lot these past (laughs) three episodes, so that's not a surprise. So Daryl Scott, Rachel Scott's father, established Rachel's Challenge to perpetuate his daughter's example and the two-page code of ethics that she wrote about a month before her death. This code of ethics had included the words, quote, compassion is the greatest form of love humans have to offer, end quote. And Daryl Scott has stated his belief in this message uh, that forms the basis for what uh, he both speaks at public appearances and he has written as an author. The Rachel's Challenge presentations are given at schools and communities by members of her family and other speakers using video footage of the Columbine High School massacre and its aftermath combined with Rachel Scott's drawings and writings in a campaign to quell school violence, bullying, and teen suicide. As of 2009, Rachel Challenge has developed a team of 30 speakers addressing young people in schools and colleges worldwide about Rachel's example. The Rachel's Challenge program includes establishing Friends of Rachel clubs at schools following the initial presentation to sustain the campaign's goals on a long-term basis. Schools around the country have incorporated Rachel's Challenge into their own clubs, bringing messages to their students. And my school was one of those schools. We had a Rachel's Challenge program. I want to say it was maybe, it was definitely early. So I think it might have been like 7th, 8th grade. Um, but this was, uh, the, the Rachel's challenge presentation was where I like first learned a lot of details about the Columbine massacre because it happened in 1999. I was like a little kid then I obviously wouldn't have known, um, what it was all about and all the details of it and how it really affected, uh, schools because I started like really going to school. I mean, I was in school in 1999, but I really started going to school after like, I didn't, I wasn't in high school at the time, so I didn't see the change. Right. Um, But yeah, I had a Rachel, Rachel's challenge program at our school. We had a friends of Rachel club. Um, Wow. Yeah. I'm surprised that like, no offense that like my school didn't like, yeah, that my high school didn't just because like, and as far as I know, like it still doesn't, um, but like, I'm just, I'm a little surprised because we had so many, I don't want to say similar clubs, mm-hmm. but we had a lot of like student activist type yeah. clubs. Maybe they were too busy bussing the children down to the March for Life every year that they couldn't do a Rachel's club. Yeah. But yeah, that's a whole other true crime, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like every school should have it. Uh, if you at your school have had it or did have it at some point, let us know. Um, and is it a national thing or an international thing? I think it's just national. Oh, no, no. It says okay. uh, schools and colleges worldwide. So Yeah. So yeah, if you're not from here, we've got some listeners in Germany. We've got some listeners in Finland. We've got some listeners in Argentina, Mexico. Like if you if you know of any in your Canada. Sorry, Canada. I always forget Canada. Um but yeah, let us know because that's that's so fascinating to me that like I, I just I really think that that should be something that's na- that's that's worldwide. I will that's say every school. 
that this was the first instance that I heard the girl that said yes story and I heard that it was Rachel. Well, and that's the thing. I went to Catholic so, school. You'd yeah. think I'd hear the girl that exactly. said yes story. I've heard about fucking Maria Goretti 25 million times, yeah. but I haven't heard about, like, I don't know. I think that it's really, I think it's something, it's a great honor to her memory, but also, like, yeah. it's a great honor to the to all the victims to have something like that in your school. Yeah. Um. So before we get into some of the lighter stuff, like the, the pop culture, there were unfortunately secondary casualties that happened because of this event obviously yeah. several former students and teachers suffered from ptsd i would say mm-hmm. more than several probably mm-hmm. suffered from ptsd some may be undiagnosed some may be ignored um but six months after the shooting Anne marie hotchalter uh her mother killed herself oh my god yeah uh greg barnes who was a 17 year old student who had witnessed uh sandra shooting commits mm-hmm. uh committed suicide in may 2000 mm-hmm. and survivor austin eubanks who was injured during the shooting hit and he had hit under a desk in the library next to the body of his friend became heavily medicated um developing an opioid addiction eventually overcoming and later speaking publicly about his addiction there's a very moving ted talk available on youtube um he did um unfortunately uh accidentally overdose in 2019 at the age of 37 oh how awful yeah um and another thing that is interesting is oh, the, i love how you say that yeah it's the advent of columbiners so before we start going a little crazy um start <laughs> yeah it I did more research. I knew of Columbiners uh, to start with, obviously, because I'm a Tumblr, gra- Tumblr gal. So, like, I, I was had, a Tumblr gal. I've never heard of this shit. Maybe uh, it was on, I'd, like, the sunshine and rainbows side of Tumblr. I'd come across it a couple times, and definitely throughout the course of the research um, and putting stuff on the website, definitely came across it more than a couple times. Um, but basically what it is. So, since the advent of social media... A fandom for shooters, uh, Harrison Klebold, had kidding me. yes, had been document uh, has a documented presence on social media sites, especially Tumblr. Fans of Harrison Klebold <sighs> refer to themselves as Columbiners. An article published in 2015 in the Journal of Transformative Works, a scholarly journal which focuses on soci- sociology of fandoms, which is very interesting in itself yeah um noted that columbiners were not fundamentally functionally different from more mainstream fandoms columbiners create fan art and fan fiction and even cosplay as the pair and have a scholarly interest in the shooting according to broadly however there's a sizable portion of columbiners who are primarily drawn to this uh understandably despised niche by a sense of community being a teenager is not easy, and many kids claim that the simple sharing of drawings and having a safe space to share kind of a more gloomy outlook on life gives them comfort and solace. 18-year-old Trisha, last name not mentioned, says, quote, Paid us. No. Uh, I relate to their feelings of hopelessness, being angry and not being able to change it and wanting to be accepted and appreciated, end quote. 16-year-old Emily added, quote, no one noticed that they were struggling and no one took their suffering seriously, end quote. Uh, These teens, uh, likely unable to process and comprehend the horrific realities of the actual event, 
for more information on that, listen to episode one of this series. Um, again, lots of these teens, this happened before they were born. So mm-hmm. you could say the same kind of, I guess, cavalier attitude to some kids now, their uh, views on 9-11. I wouldn't even say, I wouldn't say 9-11 even. Like, for example, you'll see videos of like, or, or like video montages of like, young people from like the early 2000s and kids are now starting to go i was born in the wrong time which is fucked up in and of itself may i just say as somebody who lived that i don't want to be that age anymore like i don't want to be so old that people are wishing they grew up when i grew up that's not okay with me yeah that's weird um you can tell that i'm having some severe issues with turning 27 in like a week but um i've been turning 27 in like a week for the past like eight months but um it's right we'll see how you feel when you're almost 30 (laughs) time is a construct nothing is really yeah you're old um but it it's like for example michael had students say to him once yo what was it like to be alive during 9 11 at which point i said i would have expelled (laughs) all of them yes i was like they're all getting an f but like i wouldn't say it's cavalier so much as like romanticized does yeah, that make sense a little bit yeah 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 i, I kind of get that yeah like just the whole like i was born in the wrong time and like or somebody somebody posted a video i remember on instagram like recently and it was like somebody had made like a last day of school vlog there was no speaking but it was just like people like talking to the camera but there was music over it yeah from i think it was 2001 or 2002 uh-huh and all of the young kids i hate saying that i'm such an old lady um were like oh my god i was born in the wrong time i was so i i wish i grew up then they all look so happy and so carefree well and then there's the like the then there's the millennials that are coming and going uh no no we also had massive amounts of depression we just did not like have the outlets that you did because mental health was stigmatized also 9-11 also columbine also also the war in iraq yes yeah also the housing bubble (laughs) also everything else yes it's like also fucking y2k we all thought we were gonna die like two years ago every but everything came in yeah and what was the 2012 one that we were all supposed to die then every like three years calendar bitch yeah every three years we're all gonna die so I'm holding out hope that, that one day it's going to stick, at least for me. But anyway, <laughs> we have a lot to get to, so I have to, I can't get into that. But um, <laughs> We can't get into your mental health issues, Caitlin. Exactly. You're on your own. <laughs> so, again, these kids are born before... Uh, these the, the events happen before these I kids are born. I know what you born. mean. Yes, 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 yes. Um, so they're not really drawn to the events. They're drawn to the empathy and compassion they feel in the community. Yeah. Many of the Columbiners have no positive feeling about the massacre, but are focused on the troubled inner lives of Harrison Klebold because they see themselves in them. Naturally, uh, these sentiments are often seen as supportive of school shootings, but a large portion of these teens have simply misplaced their own internal angst onto Harrison Klebold in an effort to express their own distress and seek out those who, who feel similarly confused. One person said, quote, Reading Dylan's writing is like reading things from my own head, end quote. That's not good. Uh, I will. I'm going to reference people a little back to our hyperstophilia episode mm-hmm, that talks mm-hmm. a lot about romanticizing and misplacing your uh, mental synapses on the wrong person. Yes. 
Yes, um, and and there are people, there are characters. If you're not into the whole real life people thing, that I can see what these kids are, how they're feeling, what they're saying. But there are characters and people that are in the same vein. They were abused. They were bullied. They had mental health issues. They were going through a rough time. That didn't commit a horrific act. Yeah, like exactly. For fuck's sake, look at the fucking. Disney Chicken Little movie. He didn't kill anybody. He saved everybody from aliens. Ship that guy. I will say, if there's anybody who identifies as a Columbiner listening to these episodes, I did have very strong negative feelings about Columbiners to start with. Now, after reading a lot more articles, I have not changed my view, but have a broader sense of what it means to feel like you're part of that community. And I will say... That if you are reading some of their writings and you are feeling uh, similarly, it's kind of what it feels like to grow up. They were 17-year-old kids and they were writing in journals. And, like, I know a lot of 17-year-old kids wrote in journals. And, like, you have very similar feelings about what is the future going to hold? What is this? What is that? Like, I like this person. They might not like me back. There's a lot of that. And there's a lot of other avenues to go than to do a school shooting or do a mass event like this so yeah even supporting the people who did it there's there's a time and a place i do believe that harrison klebold were uh let down at almost every turn yes and yes hindsight is 2020 you could say they could have been helped this they could have been helped that again we're going to say it was a perfect storm everything happened um in such a microcosm of a way that like yes it just all went wrong all at once. right exactly exactly yes so don't come for me columbiners uh i have a, a different worldview <laughs> so if you're i 17, recommend yeah if you're 17 year old and feeling confused there's help out there and you can definitely seek those resources and just watch chicken little and worship that instead please like i'm begging you but like it's just there's so many almost worse almost worse are obviously the copycats so as you can imagine well some people can write fan fiction and draw some stuff and not do any harm to anybody and if that makes you feel better stick to that but some people take it further too far yeah so the Columbine shootings influenced subsequent school shootings with several um, plots mentioning it by name. Fear of copycats has sometimes led to the closing of entire school districts. According to <laughs> psychiatrist E. Fuller Torney of the Treatment Advocacy Center, um, a legacy of Columbine shootings is its um, allure to disaffected youth. Ralph Larkin, um, the I believe that's the father of... No, it's not. Take it back. Um, take it back now, y'all. <laughs> take that out. <laughs> no, you got to keep it. <laughs> anyway, Ralph Larkin examined 12 major school shootings in the U.S. Um, in the following eight years and found that in eight of those, quote, the shooters made explicit references to Harrison Klebold, end quote. Larkin wrote that the Columbine massacre established a kind of script for school shootings. Quote, numerous post-Columbine rampage shooters referred directly to Columbine in their inspiration. Others attempted to supersede the Columbine shooting uh, in its body count, end quote. A 2015 investigation by CNN identified more than 40 people uh, charged with Columbine-like plots. In 2014, investigation by ABC News identified, quote, at least 17 attacks and another 
36 alleged plots or serious threats against schools since the assault on Columbine High School that can be tied to the 1999 massacre, end quote. Ties identified by ABC News included online research by the perpetrators uh, into the Columbine shooting, clipping news coverage and images of Columbine, explicit statements of admiration of Harrison Klebold, such as writing in journals and on social media, in video posts and in police interviews, timing planned uh, to the anniversary of Columbine, plans to exceed the Columbine victim count and other ties. In 2015, journalist Malcolm Gladwell uh, writing in the New Yorker magazine proposed a threshold model of school shootings in which Harrison Klebold were the triggering actors in a quote, slow motion, ever evolving riot in which each new participant's actions make sense in reaction to and in combination with those that came before end quote. I'm going to list out a disturbingly long list of copycats. Um, so the first may have been at W.R. Myers High School um, just eight days after Columbine when a 14-year-old Canadian student went into his school at lunchtime with a sawed-off 22 rifle uh, under a blue trench coat and opened fire, killing one student. A month after the massacre, Heritage High School in Conyers, Georgia, had a shooting which Attorney General Janet Reno called a Columbine copycat. A friend of Harrison Klebold, Eric Vike, was arrested after threatening to, quote, finish the job at CHS in October of 1999. In 2001, Charles Andrew Williams, the Santana High School shooter, reportedly told his friends that he was going to, quote, pull a Columbine, end quote, though none of them took him seriously. In 2005, Jeff Weiss, I think believe it is a native american man who wore a trench coat um killed his police officer grandfather and his girlfriend he took his father his grandfather's weapon and his squad car and drove to his former high school at red lake and murdered several students before killing himself in an apparent reference to columbine he asked one student if they believed in god the perpetrator of the dawson college shooting wrote a note praising harrison klebold convicted students brian draper and Tori Amadik Amadik Adamic spell Adam C I K Adamic Adam Chick sure uh, they went to Ponticello High School in Idaho and murdered their classmate Cassie Joe Stoddard. They mentioned Harrison Klebold in their homemade videos and were reportedly planning a Columbine-like shooting. The perpetrator of the Emstedden school shooting praised Harris in his diary. In November 2007, Pekka Eric Auven imitated Columbine in a shooting at Jokela in Sin, help me. It's in Finland. <laughs> T-U-U-S-U-L-A. Tusla. Tusla. Tusula. Isn't that in Oklahoma? And it says Finland. <laughs> yes, Prior I know. to the shooting, he used the nickname Natural Selector 89 online and was interested in American school shootings and wore a t-shirt that said humanity is overrated. So Jesus. kind of kind of a reference to um Harris's t-shirt, which was natural selection. Um Fucking. in December 2007, a man killed two at a youth with a mission center in Arvada, Colorado. 
and another two at the New Life Church in Colorado Springs before killing himself. He quoted Harris prior to the attack uh, under the heading, Christianity is your Columbine. In a self-made video recording sent to the news media, um, the Virginia Tech shooter uh, referenced the Columbine massacre as an apparent motivation. In the recording, he wore a backwards baseball cap and referred to Harrison Klebold as martyrs. The baseball cap is in reference to Klebold. He wore a baseball cap. Okay. Again, Adam Lanza, who we've mentioned multiple times Mm -hmm. throughout this, the perpetrator of the Sandy Hook school shooting, had an obsession with the alleged obsession with the mass murderers, in particular, the Columbine massacre. Uh, The Tumblr fandom actually gained widespread media attention in February 2015 after three of its members uh, conspired to commit mass shooting at Halifax Mall on Valentine's Day. One of the conspirators, 19-year-old Nova Scotian man James Gable's Tumblr, was dedicated to Harrison Klebold. In 2017, two 15-year-old boys from North Alderton in England were charged with conspiracy to murder after becoming infatuated with the crime and hero-worshipping Harrison Klebold. The Santa Fe High School shooting, in which 10 people were killed, strongly resembled the Columbine Massacre. The perpetrator, uh, Dimitrios Pagoretsis, used a pump-action sure. shotgun. He's a piece of shit, so I don't really care. Yeah, uh, no, He used a pump-action shotgun and homemade explosives and wore similar clothing to Harrison Klebold, including a black trench coat and combat boots, and reportedly yelled surprise to a victim during the shooting, a possible reference to the library massacre. Um, the Kirch Polytechnic College uh, massacre appears to be a copycat crime. The shooter wore a white t-shirt that said hatred in Russian, uh, one Great. fingerless glove, plant bombs, and committed suicide in the with a shotgun in the library, which is all similar to Harris's outfit and his suicide. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably one of the most known ones currently is near the 20th anniversary of the massacre in 2019, 18-year-old Florida woman named Sol Pice um, made credible threats of violence against schools in Denver, including Columbine High School. Authorities described the suspect as, quote, armed and extremely dangerous, end quote. When initial reports were released, Pice was allegedly infatuated with the Columbine shooting. She traveled from Miami to Colorado days before the anniversary, purchasing a shotgun and ammo upon arrival. As expected, she had made comments on social media and to her friends and family that indicated a possible positive view of the original massacre her surfside florida-based parents reported that their daughter was missing after she left and informed authorities about her troubling statements the fbi field office in miami subsequently contracted contacted authorities in colorado about possible threats the fact that she had purchased three one-way tickets on consecutive days also gave officials pause it was after a Colorado gun store confirmed that Sol Pice had purchased a shotgun before she left Florida that the FBI categorized her as a threat. Sheriff Jeff Schrader and Pice uh, said Pice had a fascination with the Columbine area and the horrendous crime that went on there 20 years ago. But the fascination never had a chance to be put into action. Sol Pice was found dead of a reportedly self-inflicted gunshot wound on April 17th, 2019 at the Echo Park Lodge near Mount Evans in Colorado. So that's too many. That story was floating around. There's more. (laughs) Um, 
Oh, great. There's more than 60 suspected Columbine copycats that I found just skimming through research. Mm, yes. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk about some controversies again, like going with some of the bummers before we actually get to um, some of the more uplifting stuff. But as you can imagine, Howard Stern is a controversial person. Fuck Howard um, Stern. Anyway. A day after the Columbine High School massacre, Howard Stern's comments regarding the incident drew criticism from some lif- listeners. He said, quote, there were some really good looking girls running out with their hands over their heads. Did the suspects try to have sex with any of the good looking girls? At least if you're going to kill yourself and kill all the kids, why wouldn't you have some sex? If you're going to kill someone, I'd take them out with sex. End quote. Yeah. Yeah, what a great guy, right? Hundreds <laughs> complained to KXPK, the show's affiliate in Denver. Uh, Stern argued that his comments were taken out of context, which, what other context is it? I was going to say, yeah. Uh, he also accused critics of being overly sensitive. You also do not get to decide what is sensitive to somebody. You don't get to decide if something you've said hurts or upsets yeah. somebody. You can't just say, this didn't hurt you. Yeah, it did. Yes. But that being said, it's been over 20 years and he still has a platform. So that worked out great. Yeah. So he, uh, this is him trying to defend himself. He says, quote, I dare to ask if kids had sex. So what? That's how I think. I had zero intent to make fun of the situation. The point in making that comment was attempt to try to understand the motive. We didn't know anything about the motives the morning after and we're trying to consider all possibilities. I'm going to say what you could have said was nothing. And you decided to say something. And also the issue, I think, I don't think that he is a stupid man. And so therefore, I think he knows that the issue was not that he made a comment about teenagers having sex, although as a grown man having like that thought and making that comment. Yeah, that's a little creepy, more than a little. But no, the issue is that you're saying the shooters should have had sex with these beautiful girls before murdering them. Yeah. So rape and murder is what we're talking here. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, but no. You know what? Go get a fucking haircut, get some glasses that fit, and then come back and talk about yeah, this shit. There's there's a whole there's there's whole articles about how controversial he is. But anyway. He's done some shitty things. But um, anyway. So on April thirtieth, moving away from Howard Stern, on April thirtieth, nineteen ninety nine, Carpenter Greg Zanis erected fifteen six foot tall wooden crosses to honor those who had died at the school the 15 being the 13 victims and the two gunmen each cross mm-hmm. had a victim's name on it and Zanis deliberately used a different font for harris and klebold's crosses to separate them from the victims the very president's presence of the killer's crosses amongst the victims outraged many and daniel rawborough's father cut down the two that were meant for harris and klebold uh mm-hmm. they were also there were also 15 trees planted and he cut down two of those saying, quote, I don't think any thinking person in this country is going to disagree with me. We never, ever honor a murderer in the same place as the memorial for his victims, end quote. Eventually, all of the crosses were removed and Zanis replaced them with 13 new ones. Yeah, I, I'm in full agreement. As much as I can say that, yes, they were failed at every turn and yes, they... Um, were victims of a system they perpetrated this crime and yeah i don't think that that they should be remembered in the same place as the people they killed 
Right. And and they honestly, I don't know that they should even be remembered, memorialized, any of it at all, because first of all, that's exactly what they wanted. But they, can th- be like they wanted to be seen. They can be. Rem- they wanted to be. Oh, go ahead. They can be remembered in a different way because I'm going to talk about Sue Klebold, Harris, um, Dylan Klebold's mother. Yes. Yes. And she has done some amazing work. So, uh, I mean, it's not her fault what he did. And like, I'll get to it. Um, yes. But before that, I want to talk about some of the survivors because they have some amazing stories. So I had mentioned Connie Sanders before. Mm-hmm. And um, she was an adult at the time. And um, she said that after um, high school, she started working and um, her dad was always um, asking her to go back to school. So after her father's murder, she returned back to school and um, she was interested in the psychology of the gunman. She wanted to know how they had gotten to that point. And so she found out that they had been in a diversion program after breaking into the van. I had mentioned multiple times. So she went on to work at that diversion program. Um, she also started talking with Sue Klebold about their shared work experience in suicide and violence prevention. So how beautiful is that, that she is able to forgive enough to talk to the mother of the person that killed her father and yeah. try, try to do good with her. Yeah. Well, and and also how good of a person and how strong of a person, because not just the strength to talk to the mother of her father's murderer, but to also to have been through two such awful traumatic events. Yeah. And to, like, have the emotional strength and fortitude to keep pushing forward keep going and just do something her interview in the ripples of columbine special is gorgeous she is so well spoken she is so like in tune with what happened and how she articulates it she she's incredible um another person that is interviewed is uh dewada quach um, she was in the library with her friends Lauren Townsend, Valine Schner, and Gina Park. She suffered severe survival's, survivor's guilt uh, after the massacre, saying, quote, I remember sitting in one of my classrooms and hearing some laughter happening at whatever corner of the classroom, and I was like, how could you even find joy in this very moment when this awful right. thing has happened? End quote. Right. As a result of the time she spent visiting her friends in the hospital, Quach went on to pursue a career in nursing. She said, quote, I was just watching these nurses and the medical team going around there caring for her, her being Gina. And I was like, I want to do that. I want to be someone who takes care of someone else when they can't do it themselves. End quote. Mm-hmm. She actually wasn't the only one to go on um, to be inspired by the nurses and hospital staff. Um, another survivor, Makai Hall, also became a nurse in the following years after the massacre. Mm-hmm. Um, Corey Whitfield tells this incredible story about escaping the school on that day she says she ran through the halls out to the parking lot down the street until she literally ran into to a car she wasn't looking where she was going she just ran and she ran into a car that car was her mother coming to get her no yes fucking way holy shit she she gets emotional when she talks about that part she's uh, like again another gorgeous articulate like perfect 
<laughs> Perfect person. Yeah. We stand um, queens. Yes. She actually also goes on to talk about, I wish she had talked about it a little bit more, but she goes on to talk about how difficult it was to be a minority at the school and what it felt like to lose Isaiah Shoals. There wasn't a lot of black right. kids at Columbine in that time. So yeah. um, she definitely had um, a lot to a lot of feelings about losing isaiah shoals um she later overcame her fear of entering a school and became an educator so i mean i can imagine a lot of those people <laughs> would not want to go into a school again you don't associate yeah. it with it being a safe place but yeah. four other survivors mandy cook christopher welsh noel sudano and zachary martin also went on to become educators at columbine high school jesus yes damn um they have a very interesting story i watched interviews with them they all sat together and, and did like a big interview together and talked about what they went through that day and and everything that happens afterwards um and one of them says that like she kind of starts the year with with new students saying all right i went to this school and i graduated this year and the kids kind of get it mm -hmm. and she she allows them to ask questions that's like great. what did it feel like like what 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 do we do it's like do you have a plan of what happens if this happens again and she's like mm -hmm. i have a plan b i have a plan c i have a plan yeah. d like yeah th they're not going to get me <laughs> i am prepared for this not even they're not going to get me like they're not going to find her in a situation. She's not going to find herself in a situation. Exactly. Yep. In like walking into a classroom, into a grocery store, into a a fucking movie park, theater, a movie theater, a church. Like, and I'm not just. And unfortunately, all of these examples that I was just randomly bringing to my head, all of them have been sites for mass shootings because this is America. Um, but it it's she i i assure you like she walks in and like that professor i talked about last week she yep. immediately just like bop 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 all right three three plans of action right then i and mean there. unfortunately okay, that's what everyone should be doing but it's what they should be doing yeah but sometimes if you haven't been in that situation if you haven't been in that situation or if you if like some people and it's not i'm not saying this to criticize some people ignorance is bliss mm -hmm. and if you don't think about it then because sometimes thinking about it can be scary enough yeah definitely um another survivor heather martin she also became a teacher she was barricaded in the choir room which was near the library with 60 other students for three hours for months after the massacre she was battling severe ptsd and triggers she said um, in her interview that she wouldn't leave her sister's side. She couldn't be alone. She had to sleep with the lights on. She couldn't get too hot or she would have a panic attack. She said oh that when God. she was hiding, she felt really hot. So if she started feeling really hot again, she would start. That was a trigger for her. Mm -hmm. um, she went to college six months later and um, said that there was a fire drill and she immediately burst into tears because she was triggered because she didn't realize why she had immediately burst into tears, but she was like, oh, yeah, the fire alarm was going off the entire time. Yeah. So now a fire alarm is something that freaks me out. Um, she eventually dropped out of college for her mental health. Um, she did eventually develop an eating disorder and started using drugs. She's fine now. Um, 
but she said that the hardest thing that she had to dealt that she had dealt with was not having anyone with her who had gone through the same thing. Mm. Um, so that's one of the reasons she she left college because if she if she heard a fire alarm and burst into tears, no one knew why, and she was like labeled as a weird one. When if she was with people who went through the same thing, they would get it, and she didn't want to have to explain to everybody, oh, this is why, because yeah. she was not at that mental headspace yet. I don't I don't think there's I I don't begrudge her that. Exactly. Um, she said after nine years of avoiding the town of Littleton on the anniversary, Martin went back with her family and other classmates on the 10-year anniversary. She went to the choir room where she had hidden all those years ago, and she said, quote, We climbed up into the ceiling tiles to see if our names were still there. We had written our names up in the tiles so that people would know we were there if we had died, end quote. Mm -hmm. They weren't there anymore, but that visit gave Martin the strength that she needed to go back to school and get her teaching degree. After the Aurora movie theater shooting, Martin and another Columbine survivor started the Rebels Project, which is a mass shooting and trauma support group where survivors can go and talk about their experiences and feel less alone. Mm -hmm. That's great. The Rebels Project, Rebels is the uh, was the mascot of Columbine, so that's why it's called that. Mm -hmm. Um, Dewada Quach again. she and another survivor who I cannot find the name of, I definitely saw way too many interviews, so I like lost it in the shuffle of names. But both of them mention how they had found it hard to keep in touch with people from Columbine afterwards. Quatch uh, being a senior at the time of the massacre, um, and with everything taking place just a couple weeks before the end of the school year, she said she and the rest of her graduating class were never really able to get closure because yeah. they were kind of like it happened. And then they had to go to college. Yeah. Um, And I can imagine they didn't really have to go back to the school after it happened. It was the end of the year. uh, uh, Classes were held at a, at a different school. Yeah. um, After, after everything had happened. Um, Lance Kirkland, who had to have all those surgeries on his face and everything Mm -hmm. still loves to hunt. Uh, Really? Yeah. He said that if he heard gunfire from a distance or in an odd place, he would be triggered but he himself needed to have the um, the comfort of being able because he liked to hunt before everything happened, so he didn't want that to to ruin his experience. It's like when you hear somebody getting attacked, like a surfer getting attacked by a shark, and they immediately get back in the water. You can't That's let it have that fear yeah. over you. Yeah, but Which but is, also easier said than done for exactly. many people. Yes. Um, now I'm going to start getting into the pop culture side. So I think the first thing to mention is we've said it before. The word Columbine has become a euphemism for school shooting. Yeah. Um, like going postal, uh, is for workplace violence. That Mm -hmm. one's not so much known anymore, but like we can talk about that story, uh, at a later date. But like I, I've said in the, um, when talking about the copycats, like pulling a Columbine, going Columbine, like mm-hmm. you th- you hear the word and you don't think the school or the town or the flower you think this massacre right and i think that is kind of the epitome of the pop culture section is the word itself became culturally significant mm-hmm. yeah um one that i find quite troubling uh one piece of pop culture is a 2005 video game titled super columbine massacre rpg exclamation point um For it's fuck's an sake okay 
Yeah, I'm going to get into it. So it's an independently made game by Danny Ledone. Um, as a high school student, the Columbine shootings resonated with him. And he said that um, he himself had been a loner, a misfit, a bullied kid. And um, he kind of related to the shooters. He said, quote, I was an easy target to be picked on. And that started in kindergarten. It was the kind of bullying that most kids who were bullied experienced when you get pushed every day and when you get ostracized, not once, not twice, but years in and out, your perceive your perception of reality is distorted. These, these things really do warp your understanding and your perception of humanity in almost irrevocable ways, end quote. After the Columbine shootings, he realized he was headed down the same path as the shooters. He said, quote, it was a bit scary uh, once I learned more about these boys because it was like I was looking in the mirror and didn't want the same fate for myself, end quote. He began taking martial arts, studying film, and saw a therapist. By the time he graduated from Alamosa High School, Ladone had a 4.0 grade point average and was voted most likely to succeed by his peers. So he went the opposite route. He saw in himself that he could be this person and turned it around. And that's great. That's great that he did but that. But now we're talking about the game that he created. Yes. So then we do this. In the game, players take control of Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold and act out the massacre while going through flashbacks of the pair's experiences. Following the massacre, the player takes control of Harris and Klebold in a fictional adventure, fictional adventure in some sort of purgatory. Uh, right. The game received huge controversy as people believed it was glorifying the massacre and could be used by potential future killers future killers as inspiration after the mm -hmm. dawson college shooting in september 2006 when gunman kimver gill killed one student and injured 19 others the toronto sun reported that gill had self-reported playing columbine massacre on a website the story was picked up by the media and reported widely upon hearing media reports of a link to the game one of the shooting victims at dawson college contacted ladone and told him, quote, I just suffered multiple gunshot wounds and I think you should take this game down, end quote. Yeah, very uh, well said. I believe that there are, I'm going to get to like, there's another connection with this video game that I'll, I'll get to in a little bit, but there are like full Wikipedia articles and other articles talking about this game. So if you need more information on like what this game is and kind of the backstory of it, you can definitely look into that. Yep. Uh, I'm going to dive into some movies now. And they're starting from the oldest, getting to the newest. The 1999 black comedy. Again, this is 1999. The massacre happened in 1999. Mm -hmm. um, it's called Duck, the Carbine High Massacre. And it was inspired by Columbine, obviously. It's got no Rotten Tomato score, but it has an audience score of 46% and a 3.8 out of 10 on IMDb. The description of the movie is... Quote, Derwin and Derek, neo-Nazis, plan to commit a school shooting and kill themselves after a sick joke by the school jocks, end quote. It was released October 26, 1999, just six months after Columbine. It was written, directed, and starred William Hellfire and Joey Smack. I do not know if those are real names, but it was made for a budget of $5,000. Yeah. Um, why? I know. Uh, getting to a more well-received one, the 2003 Gus Van Sant film Elephant depicts a fictional school shooting but is based in part on the Columbine Massacre, 
also partially based on the story of Van Zant's friend and fellow writer, director Harmony Corinne. The description is, quote, a day in the lives of a group of average high, average teen, teenage high school students. The film follows every character and shows their daily routines. However, two of the students plan to do something that the student body won't forget, end quote. While there's no doubt that the film was inspired by the tragedy, director Gus Van Zant meant for the film to be more of a reflection on the nature of violence and the effects of indifference. There's also a rumor that Van Zant's original intent was to make a TV film based on factual accounts of Columbine, but this rumor has been, uh, it's been unfounded. So mm-hmm. it's neither here nor there. Um, this movie has a 73% on Rotten Tomatoes, 79% audience score with over 50,000 ratings. And uh, it has a 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb. Most of the kids in the film are not actually actors and much of the dialogue was improvised. And the film wow. is included on the list uh, 1001 Movies to See Before You Die, edited by Steven Schneider. And um, it's also allegedly Tom Hanks's favorite film. No fucking way. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it's good enough for Tom Hanks, that's good enough for me. I guess. Uh, the 2003 Ben Kokuyo film. I'm so sorry if I'm butchering every single name in this entire episode. Uh, it's called Zero Day, and it's based on the massacre. The description is, quote, two troubled adolescents chronicle the events that ultimately lead up to a terrifying assault on their school, end quote. It has a 68% on Rotten Tomatoes, 78% audience score, and a 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb. And it was shot non-professionally, like on non-professional cameras in the style of the basement tapes. So like what what you would say, like uh, if it was a horror movie, it would be found footage, I guess. Yeah. It's like a Blair Witch type of thing. A little bit. Uh, The 2004 film, The Only Way, is loosely based on Columbine. The description is, quote, Devin Browning is viewed as an outcast and a victim of physical and emotional abuse from his classmates after the tragic death in his family. His life begins to fall off course. He eventually seeks revenge by bringing a gun to school and opening fire on his classmates, end quote. To make the bullying seems the bullying scenes seem more real- realistic, the crew didn't tell the bully victims what was going to happen, which seems horrifying. That's fucked, yeah. Uh, it has no Rotten Tomatoes score, but has a 6.8 out of 10 on IMDb. Mm-hmm. In 2005, Lifetime produced Dawn Anna, And it's based on Dawn Anna Townsend and the loss of her daughter, Lauren Townsend, during the massacre. It has no tomato meter rating, 71% audience score, and a 6.9 out of 10 on IMDb. In 2009, there was April Showers, written and directed by Andrew Robinson, who was a senior at Columbine during the shooting. The description is, quote, a survivor, Kelly Blantz, of a high school shooting tries to come to terms with the horrors uh he witnessed along with the loss of his best friend end quote it has no tomato meter rating but a 60 percent audience score and a 5.8 out of 10 on imdb i'm sorry i'm like shooting through these but i still no, got you're a, doing fine. A, a lot left to talk about you're doing fine you're doing great there is the 2016 biographical film i'm not ashamed based on the journals of rachel scott scott's brother craig uh appears briefly as a convenience store clerk Another one of the hmm. actors, Cameron McKendry, was also in My Friend Dahmer. Oh. I, I'm, I'm just relating back to stuff we've already talked about. When no, we talked yeah, about no. And that, yeah, no, that's interesting. Interesting fact. 
Yeah. Uh, the release date was supposed to be April 20th, 2016, which would have been the 17th anniversary of Rachel Scott's mm-hmm. death, but was moved to October at her parents' request. Scott's actual red Acura was used for filming and needed to be transported from Littleton, Colorado to Nashville, Tennessee. It has a 20% on Rotten Tomatoes, but it has an 82% wow. per- it has an 82% audience score and a 5.9 okay. out of 10 on IMDb. I mean, critics can get it wrong. I know. That's okay. It happens. Yeah, it's not always right. No. The 2020 action film Run, Hide, Fight was inspired by Columbine. The description is, quote, a high school student uses her wits and survival skills to stay alive and protect herself and her classmates in an active shooter situation, end quote. It has a 44% on Rotten Tomatoes, 93% audience score, 94% Google score, and a 6.10, 6.4 out of 10 on IMDb. Damn. And that came out in 2020. Yeah. Well, and it's funny you say that because just a real quick aside, Run, Hide, Fight is actually, I don't know if I'm supposed to be telling people this, but I don't think it's going to hurt. Um, I feel like it's probably common knowledge. Um, uh, the the military base I worked on, that was our active shooter training. We actually had little cards even. And that was the procedure if there were to be an active shooter. Yep. And before I started working there, there actually was an active shooter situation on the base. Um, but it was we were supposed to run away from the doors into like a closet or something. We were supposed to hide in said closet if we couldn't mm-hmm. if not we were to we were to fight and we had to like come up with our own procedures and everything yeah. but that's like apparently a very commonly taught like thing in like workspaces and in like government spaces and things like that i actually just posted something probably the first the first week that we talked about this case that it was um a video by a former Navy SEAL, I want to say it is, that he goes over the run, hide, fight um, yeah. list of like what you should do in an active shooter situation. So go to the <laughs> Facebook and, and check that out. I, I will say a friend of a friend of mine who at the time was our department head, she's itsy bitsy teeny tiny, but she's a former, she used to be a cop for the Air Force. She's very like she's a force to be reckoned with and we used to say that because she was so small we were going to pick her up and throw her yeah <laughs> she was just gonna like <laughs> yeah throwing hands yeah you know taking things very seriously um there's a couple others that i'm not going to get like deeply into um but have some interesting uh starring roles Ooh. uh bang bang you're dead from 2002 stars tom cavanaugh and ben foster oh yeah tom Kavanaugh. I do. Hello, Herman <laughs> from 2012 stars Norman Reedus of Walking Dead fame. I know him. Uh, Heart of America him, from but... 2002 stars Elizabeth Moss. Oh! Yes. Um, and Then I Let Go from 2017 stars Justin Long. No! Oh, I know him too! <laughs> I know! <Yeah. laughs> then there's also The Dirties from 2013. Didn't recognize anybody in that, but also okay. could just be my notes. Um, and then there's American Yearbook in 2004, although it says online that the film was never widely released, huh. so maybe you can't watch that one. I don't know. It could be indie. Maybe. Like how there was a limited like, theater release or something. Yeah. Um, now I'm going to talk about some documentaries. I'm going to... S- I'm going to start by saying there are way more documentaries than what I'm going to mention. Yes, you have your hand raised. 
my hand is raised. Um, one more that I thought I would mention in Dawn Anna, actually, the girl that plays um, Lulu Townsend is Tatiana Maslany of oh, Orphan Black. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So there's another one. Ah, I missed some of those as I was <laughs> going through it. But anyway. No, you're fine. So the first documentary on the massacre may have been TLC's uh, Lost Boys in 2000. I could find mm. almost no information other than a pretty low quality version of it on Reddit. So. Uh, oh, if anyone else has I would expect. Yeah. If anyone else has information on this, sure, let me know. But there's a lot of others you can check out, including... The 2002 Michael Moore documentary film Bowling for Columbine. It won several awards, including the 2003 Oscar for Best Documentary, the 2002 American Choice Award at the Chicago International Film Festival, the 55th anniversary price at the 2002 Cannes, is it Cannes, Cannes, whatever it is, Cannes Cannes. Film Festival. Um, The award was created just for the film because it didn't fit into any established category. Yeah. They're like, this has to win something, but we don't know what. Well, yeah, it's great. In fact, at the Cannes Film Festival, the film received a standing ovation lasting 13 minutes. That's amazing. Yes. And also, wait, how many how many people died in Columbine? Again? Uh, 15, technically. Oh, I thought it was 13 for a second. Well, and I was like, thir- 13 victims in the two. All right, well then I'm counting it. Yeah. Cuz I got I got goosebumps when I when you said that. I was like, yes. "Wait a fucking minute." Uh this is also included in the 1001 movies to see before you die. Yeah. Um it has a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes, 83% audience score, 84% on Google, and a 7.9 out of 10 on IMDb. And the critics consensus is, quote, "Though it may not always convince Bowling for Columbine asks important questions and provokes thought." End quote. The description mm-hmm. is, quote, Political documentary filmmaker Michael Moore explores the circumstances that lead to the 1999 Columbine High School massacre and more broadly, the proliferation of guns and the high homicide rate in America. In its trademark provocative fashion, Moore accosts Kmart corporate employees and pleads with them to stop selling bullets, investigates why Canada doesn't have the same excessive rate of gun violence and questions actor uh, Charlotte charlton heston charlton heston Heston. you know charlton fucking moses i might have written it wrong the ten Um, commandments it's charlton well he supports the nra he's dead yeah he can do whatever the fuck he wants he's dead but yeah that's uh that's a big one i will say it does start as a documentary about columbine and then it really starts to get into like gun control and all that mm-hmm. and uh, uh, all that stuff so if you're mm-hmm. looking for something that is specifically about columbine that's not necessarily going to uh yeah. scratch your itch but there's yeah. a couple of others so in 2002 it also won an oscar yes i mm-hmm. think i said that 2003 oscar for best documentary nope i missed it sorry <laughs> you weren't <laughs> listening to me um, I never listen. In 2002, A&E made Columbine, Understanding Why. It has a 5.5 mm-hmm. out of 10 on IMDb. I think you can watch it on YouTube. That's probably where I watched it. It's all right. The YouTubes. Um, playing Columbine. I mean. Uh, from 2008. He's distraught. <laughs> uh, playing Columbine from 2008 is a documentary chronicling the history of the game Super Columbine Massacre RPG. Tracing mm-hmm. back the 16-bit role-playing game to its inception through the 2006 shooting at the Dawson College, uh, in which the game was signaled out by the media as a murder simulator that trained the shooter, and finally the game's removal from the list of finalists from the Slam Dance 2007 guerrilla game-making competition, promoting half of the entries and a sponsor to pull out of the festival in protest, 
It has a 73% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes and a 7.1 out of 10 on IMDb. So definitely, if you're interested in that video game I mentioned, this is one to check out because it really delves into all of the information and all of the controversy and everything happening with this game. Um, the 2013 film Kids for Cash, about the Kids for Cash scandal detailed uh, in part of the zero tolerance policy in the wake of the Columbine shooting, it's got a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes, 73% audience score, and a 7.1 out of 10 on IMDb. The critics' consensus is, quote, dispassionately presented yet frequently enraging Kids for Cash uses the fallout from one horrific scandal to offer a thought-provoking critique of the justice system in general, end quote. And the description of the, of the documentary is, quote, in the wake of the shootings at Columbine, a small town celebrates a charismatic judge who is hell-bent on keeping kids in line until one parent dares to question the motives behind his brand of justice. This real-life thriller uh, reveals the untold stories of the masterminds in the center of the scandal and the chilling aftermath of lives destroyed in the process, uh, stunning emotional roller coaster. End quote. In okay. 2018, there was a documentary, We Are Columbine, which highlights four students who were freshmen during the massacre. 20 years later, these students talk about their experience on a walkthrough of the school. Director Laura Farber, who was also a freshman at the time, offers a unique perspective of how such an event can impact young lives. There's no tomato meter rating, but it's got a 38% on uh, 38% audience score, 6.7 mm. out of 10 on IMDb, and a 78% Google score. Okay. Then there is the last one I'm going to talk about, which is Generation Columbine from 2019. Quote, more than two decades after the shooting at Columbine, an entire generation has grown up under the threat of gun violence. This film examines the epidemic of school shootings and their lasting impact through the, the eyes of survivors. End quote. Mm -hmm. uh, it's got a 7 out of 10 on IMDb. Hell yeah. Um, I think We Are Columbine you can watch on Hulu if you have like the premium subscription maybe like, i tried to watch like it which I one we okay, are Columbine. So, no i'm saying which which subscription to hulu <laughs> like the, the the premium one so like one that's got like hbo i or think Showtime? so yes yeah yeah okay because i couldn't watch it and i have the the regular subscription okay and i just did a, a quick little search and you can rent it for 2.99 on prime or voodoo $3.99 on Google Play and $4.99 on Apple TV. So if you want to pay more for it, I guess like go off, fine, sure, but it's $2.99 on Prime. So. All right. So now getting into some TV. In 2007, the massacre was documented in an episode of the National Geographic Channel documentary series, The Final Report. In a TV Guide interview, Mike Judge told the story of a letter he received regarding the King of the Hill episode, Wings of the Dope, in which the protagonist protagonist's deceased boyfriend visits her in the form of an angel this sounds like it's not related to columbine but i promise it is okay um, the episode premiered on may 4th 1999 two weeks <gasps> after the shooting pierre's and birthday oh oh r.i.p pierre <laughs> the fan who wrote judge had been inside the school during the the massacre and she credits the episode with helping her allow herself to grieve a friend of hers uh she was in love with and during the shooting decided to finally tell um only to find out later that he was one of the shooters oh shit yeah uh because of this she had been pressured to repress her feelings so that's a very I interesting mean, story yes. uh damn 
Two episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer were postponed after they were to air soon after the shootings. The first was the episode Earshot, though the episode had to do with school violence. Um, there was a scene reminiscent of the University of Texas Austin shooting. Also, Graduation Day Part 2 was delayed almost two months after the shooting because there was a scene where the students are wielding weapons and it was only aired after the WB received, quote, thousands of letters demanding the finale be aired, end quote. Damn. Yeah. In the American Horror Story episode, Halloween yep. Part 2, the yep. ghost of a victim of Tate's high school uh, shooting, um, which he does not, uh, what? Five victims. Yes. You said a victim. Sorry. Uh, in the research I, I found, I have not watched it, but it says there was... Uh, um, one of the victims uh, comes back and asks him, do you believe in God? Uh, when he is surprised by the question, she says, you asked me if I believe in God and you put a gun to my head. Uh, in the following episode, Piggy Piggy, a sequence in which Tate shoots several victims in a library is depicted. And it's much like the library yeah. uh, massacre at the Columbine uh, shooting. Um, an episode of the Discovery Channel show Zero Hour documents the events of the massacre and includes a detailed reenactment. This is the uh, documentary that I watched that was really, really upsetting about um, when it got to the death of Dave Sanders. Um, mm. Most of the cafeteria scenes for the episode uh, that dramatized the incident were filmed in the actual location. Uh, this episode has an 8 out of 10 on IMDb. It is... It is very good. It's very informative. There's a lot of uh, interviews with survivors. Um, I do recommend it. I think you can watch it on YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, in the Family Guy episode, Brian and Stewie, Stewie Griffin mentions that Brian Griffin cried after Columbine, which Brian responds because it was a national tragedy, which Stewie then responds that it was more of a regional tragedy. In another Family Guy episode, Trading Places, Peter Griffin is wearing a black trench coat, similar to what Harrison Klebold wore during the massacre, and pulls out a shotgun and says it's time to make the popular kids pay for ignoring him. Yeah, family Guy is... a thousand with Family Guy. Uh, yeah, it's a little controversial. Yeah. Um, Columbine is briefly mentioned in the Cold Case episode, Rampage. Um, okay. Now I'm going to get into something that I don't think you thought was going to come up. I'm uh, Haley. There's a lot of things I didn't think were going to come up in there these past three episodes. There is not one, but two stage dramas. Oh, I believe that. Yep, they did in it for fucking um, Matthew Shepard. Oh, oh, oh! You you just hold on to your pants because oh, I okay. am planning something regarding true crime in the stage. So everyone, uh, get so ready. So you for agree. It. So you agree. You think you're leggings are pants? Yes. Who's <laughs> <laughs> quoting me? Go. I know, anyway. and I was just quoting me. Okay, so in 2014, a stage play called "The Library" premiered at the Public Theater in New York City. If anyone doesn't know, the Public Theater is where Rent was first um, premiered. Mm -hmm. uh, the play was written by Scott Z. Burns and directed by Steven Soderbergh, and starred Chloe Grace Moretz. 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 Uh, it's loosely based on Dave Cullen's book, Columbine, about the massacre. The play centers on Caitlin Gabrielle, a Caitlin with a C, um, a high school student in an unnamed town who survives a school shooting and then struggles to relay her version of events against eyewitness reports from fellow survivors that uh, she informed the shooter where the other st 
students hid. Whoa. Um, yes. Uh, even her own parents accept the media reports of this accusation, which spark widespread uh, revulsion towards her in the aftermath of the shooting. Other notable actors in the play, very notable actors, uh, Michael O'Keefe, who was in Caddyshack mm. and An American Crime, which you'll remember from our uh, Sylvia Likens episode. Yep. Uh, Daryl Sabara. Yeah. Spy Kids. Yeah. Lily Taylor. Mr. Mega Trainer. Yes. <laughs> Lily Taylor, who's in Mystic Pizza mm-hmm. and Say Anything. Yep. And Tamara Tooney <gasps> of Law and Order SVU fame. I love her. I want to say she's probably in some other iterations of Law and Order, but I know her from SVU because that's what I watch. Mm-hmm. Um, producers Kathleen Kennedy and Frank Marshall have expressed their intention to put the play on in other cities across the United States and possibly around the world. They also discussed great. the possibility of adapting the play into a series for HBO. Ooh. Yes. When they acquired the rights to Cullen's book, they initially intended to turn it into a feature film directed by David Fincher, which I want to see the Columbine David Fincher movie. Um, the script of the play is actually available on Google Books, so you can go ahead and read it. There is another play called Columbinus, uh, which is know. Latin for flower. I okay, well, isn't Columbine a flower? So, I mean, it makes sense. I think so. Uh, this, uh, I could be wrong in some of this research, but anyway. Um, it first appeared at the Roundhouse Theater in Silver Spring, Maryland in 2005. Then it went to Off-Broadway in 2006 and has been staged around the country since. Written by Stephen Karam and the late P.J. Paparelli. Columbinus? Uh, I always like Baby, you get, good? I always get messed up when I see it written. Um, it's set in an American high school with teenage archetypes, the jock, the prep, AP, Faith, Rebel, Perfect, and The Basket the, Case. The Freak and the Loner. So th- it's it's much like um Breakfast Club. Y- yeah, kinda like Breakfast Club, but it's kinda like Zombieland where they don't have the actual names of the people. They're just labeled as what their quote unquote label would have been. Um, I was in a fetal position facing the couch the entire, I shit you not, zombie land. Like, I don't know. You are the worst. I anyway, am a puss. <laughs> so the freak and the loner in the play uh, take on the roles of the Columbine killers in the second act. And that's when the play takes on more of a documentary type feel uh, with the audience listening to an actual 911 call made by a teacher from the library. We'll know that as the 911 call that I reference in the first part. Mm-hmm. Um, the newly added act three has the other cast members becoming survivors and townspeople who reflect on the events, including the cover up of information surrounding the suspects. The play briefly touches on the modern shootings, such as the incident at Aurora and Sandy hook in October, 2014 word spread on social media that Duncan Sheik and Steven yeah. Sater, um, yeah who had previously worked together on the Tony award winning commercially successful rock musical adaptation, spring awakening mm-hmm. were in talks with, uh, Karam and Paparelli to, um, adapt Columbus into a rock musical. That would have been cool. Yeah. As of February, 2015, the only detail which has been released is the possibility that due to the subject matters, sensitive nature, um, cheek and Seder may have, may instead fictionalize the two leads in the off-broadway version of the play the character perfect is played by anna camp of pitch perfect fame <gasps> oh 
perfect. Yes. Um, AP is played by James Flanagan, who was in Dr. Sleep, Gerald's Game, The Haunting of Hill House, all mm-hmm. relevant to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rebel is played by Carmen. San Diego. No. Her- Herley. H-E-R-L-I-H-Y. She was in incredible. Yes. She was in Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. Oh. And Jock is played by Joaquin Perez Campbell, who was in Veronica Mars. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think this is probably the longest section that I'm going to get to, and that's music, surprisingly. Um, mm-hmm. I mentioned it before. The entire 2000 album, Holy Wood in the Shadow of the Valley of Death by Marilyn Manson, was written as a reaction and a rebuttal against the allegation made by politicians, religious and civic leaders, and news media that the group inspired the perpetrators to commit the school shooting. Mm-hmm. So go ahead and listen to that entire album. Um, there's a song called Leave Me Alone by goth band The Crux Shadows. It was remixed as Leave Me Alone Shaft 2020 mix to incorporate audio clips from the anti-goth segments of the ABC News magazine show 2020 that aired the day after the shooting. Mm -hmm. Columbine students Jonathan and Stephen Cohen wrote a song called Friend of Mine, uh, parentheses Columbine, which Mm -hmm. briefly received airplay in the U.S. after being performed at a memorial service broadcast on nationwide television. The song has been pressed to a CD with the proceeds benefiting families affected by the massacre, and over 10,000 copies were ordered. Shortly after the release of the CD single, the song was also featured on the Lullaby for Columbine CD. Um, Amanda Palmer, one half of the Dressin' Dolls, performs Strength Through Music, during the 2007 Edinburgh Fringe Festival, and it's about Columbine. She stated that the song was written sometime earlier, though she did not clarify the time frame. Strength Through Music is the first solo CD, um, is on her first solo CD, Who Killed uh, Amanda Palmer, and she also did the music video version of it, um, shot at Lexington High School in Massachusetts, which is her alma mater. The video is a spoken mode set preface. Okay. I don't know what that meant, but I thought I should mention it. Like, I'm assuming, like, spoken word. Like, it's like a poem type thing instead of, or not even just a poem, but, like, you know, it's not set to music. Sure. Like, like princes, ladies and gentlemen, we are gathered here today to celebrate a thing called life. Sure. Okay. I'm going to be completely honest. There are way too many songs for me to actually listen to every single one of them. But if you're interested, go ahead. Um, rapper Tyler, the creator, made a reference to the shooting in his song Yonkers, um, saying this ain't no V-Tech shit or Columbine. He also has a song entitled Pigs, which he stated in a tweet was inspired by the two shooters. Okay. Rapper Violent J of the hip-hop supergroup Dark Lotus mentioned Columbine uh, on the Dark Lotus debut album Tales from the Lotus Pod on the 10th track of the album called Bad Rep. Quote, I'm about to enroll in Columbine and finish the fucking job, end quote. There's going to be a lot of these rough ones. Uh, Rapper Bones released an album about the shooting on February 25th, 2014, entitled Teen Witch. The songs go inside the minds of Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold leading up to and throughout the massacre. And song titles include Klebold, Bombs in the Lunchroom, and Library Suicide. Mm Mm-hmm. Eminem 
references the shooting multiple times through his dis- entire discography. Most famously in the song I'm Back off the Marshall Mathers LP from 2000 contained a line about Columbine that was censored. Quote, I take seven kids from Columbine, stand them all in a line, add an AK-47, a revolver, a nine, a Mac-11, and it ought to solve the problem of mine. But that's a whole school of bullies shot up all at one time. End quote. Hmm. He references um, the censorship of this line in Rap God from the Marshall Mathers LP2 from 2013 and repeats the entire line saying it was not to be censored this time because he was not as famous as he was uh, back when I'm Back was released. Quote, to censor you uh, like that one line, I said I'm back from the Mathers LP1 when I tried to say I'll take the seven kids from Columbine and put them all on the line at an AK-47 or a revolver in a nine see if I get away with it now. End quote. The song Remember Me says, quote, two kids, 16 with M16s and 10 clips each, uh, and them shits reach through six kids each. Um, I'm sorry, I'm like <laughs> monotone no. quoting rap yeah. lyrics. No, no, you're this fine. Is the yeah, worst. Ben, ben Stein doing an artistic reading of rap Wop. lyrics. Yeah. Wop, please, <laughs> Ben Stein, please. Um, in the song The Way I Am, Quote, when a dude's getting bullied and shoots up his school and they blame uh, they blame it on Marilyn and heroin, end quote. Um, the Mathers uh, LP also references the shooting and the music video for White America includes a reference to school shootings during the first chorus. Uh, probably the most popular one, uh, musical reference to Columbine, kind of hit or miss, uh, is Foster the People's Pumped Up Kicks allegedly inspired by the Columbine High School Massacre. Um, if you don't know, the line is, all the other kids with the pumped up kicks, you better run, better run, outrun my gun. All the other kids with the pumped up kicks, better run, better run, faster than my bullet. Um, songwriter Mark Foster said in a statement to CNN Entertainment, quote, I wrote pumped up kicks when I began to read about the growing trend in teenage mental illness. I wanted to understand the psychology behind it because I, it was foreign to me. It was terrifying how mental illness amongst the youth had skyrocketed in the last decade. I was scared to see where the pattern was headed and if it didn't start changing the way we are bringing up the next generation, end quote. The band's bassist, Cubby Fink, has a cousin who survived the Columbine High School massacre. Fink said of his cousin's experience, quote, she was actually in the library when everything went down, so I actually flew out there to be with her the day after it happened and experienced the trauma surrounding it and how and saw how it affected um, she was by it. She was as close as a sister, so obviously it affected me deeply. So to be able to have a song to create a platform to talk about this stuff has been good for us, end quote. Um, Broccoli by Dram, capital D-R-A-M, mentions sure. the Columbine High School Massacre, quote, we gonna turn this shit to Columbine. Mm. Childish Gambino's song, The Real, from his mixtape, I Am a Rapper 2, uh, briefly re- references Columbine. Um, it has the N-word in it, so I am not going to quote that you one. Can, you can bleep it. School you can, you all can not you bleep. say it and skip it. Yeah. <laughs> School <laughs> and all you bleep, and my mouth uh, will make it Columbine. Ah. Yeah. Rapper Coda the Friend mentions the shooting on his 2020 album, Everything, in the song Always quote shooters like it's columbine end quote it's not very friendly. but again 2020 
that's recent yeah this happened in 1999 yeah yeah well like you said in the beginning like columbine and school shooting are like basically synonymous yeah exactly. like it's what you really it's one of the first ones you think of if not the first one you think of yeah so according to the post gazette two songs from your crush alice cooper's 2000 album brutal planet were quote based on the killings at columbine high school end quote in an article for cron michael moore speaks about the song wicked young man specifically quote one of the songs on the album wicked young man creates a character for the dark world by uh, combining elements from the movie American History X with gruesome recollections from the murders at Columbine, end quote. The lines are, uh, quote, I got every kind of chemical pumping through my head. I read Mein Kampf daily just to keep my hatred fed. I never ever sleep. I lay in bed dreaming of the day when everyone is dead, end quote. So there's that. Bean just like dive bombed off Elliot's desk in the background. I'm sure everybody heard it, but that's that's about where my feelings are. It's the clonk of a cat hitting the ground. Just just me <laughs> jumping off the desk. We're almost done. Um, oh punk, no, not not about this. Punk garage rock band the Orwells um, talk about uh, the massacre in Hallway Homicide, and it's from the perspective of. The perpetrators essentially shedding light on the mindset of a school shooter. Quote, cartridges loaded, my trench coat unzips, eyes on the clock and his hand on the grip, sawed off, Zoloft, the cocktail is lit. End quote. I love reading these lines. I love hearing you <laughs> it's read a these lot. lines. <laughs> uh, Five Iron Frenzy is a Christian ska band from Denver. And their song, A New Hope, served as the band's response to the events. Quote, Amy's going back to school today. Did the hall smell of gunpowder still what made the human mind dark enough to kill? End quote. Christian rock band Flyleaf's song Cassie was written about uh, Cassie Bernal. Um, again, she was uh, famously known for her unapologetic Christian beliefs, allegedly. Mm -hmm. uh, spoiler alert, she wasn't. Um, essentially, she had the opportunity to denounce God in order to save her life. She instead held uh, strong to her beliefs and was ultimately killed. Again, none of this is correct. Uh, quote, do you believe in God written on the bullet? Say yes to pull the trigger. Do you believe in God written on the bullet? And Cassie pulled the trigger. End quote. Uh, this is your time. The title track from the 1999 album by Michael W. Smith was also inspired by Cassie Bernal. According to Smith, um, quote, um, this is your time is a challenge for all of us to recognize through Cassie's life that now is our time to stand up and live life unabashedly for God. End quote. The lines are, quote, it was a test we could all hope to pass. Bean is singing now. <laughs> but none of us would want to take, faced with the choice to deny God or live. For her, there was one choice to make. This was her time. This was her dance. She lived every moment, left nothing to chance. She swam in the sea, drank of the deep, embraced the mystery of all she could be. What if tomorrow and what if today, faced with the question, oh, what would you say? End quote. Do you have I something have to say, say about my cat? I have something to say about your cat. Clearly, he was trying to be like, shut up, mom, I can do it better. Yeah, that's he true. was clearly trying to like just show off. He's like, let me do it. Well, there's like one more. So <laughs> let him do cat. it. <gasps> um, Ill Bill, a rapper and producer from Queens, New York. Great name. Specifically referenced the Columbine Massacre on 
the anthology of a school shooting. Unlike many of the songs written in the aftermath of Columbine, Bill specifically names the perpetrators. He focuses on Eric Harris painting the portrait of Harris's social status and mindset. Quote, my name is Eric Harris. I was forever harassed and outcast. You fuck with us. And now me and Dylan is pulling out gats. I've been wanting to murder people. Suicide is played out. If you're going to die, take people with you. End quote. Again, being saying I can do it better. Well... There's more songs with allusions to Columbine, including Rampage and Lividity by Nicole Dollinganger, uh, One by One by The Calling, Nobody Thinks About Me by Michael Graves, Rival by Pearl Jam, Columbine by Filter, and Hero by Super Chick. There's probably so many more that I missed, but that's what I got for you. Yeah. Um, before we go, I'm going to talk about some of the books that were written these are very good. So most of them are very good, I would say. Um, the 2009 book Columbine, A True Crime Story by Jeff Cass explains the events that led up to the tragedy using research. It's got a 3.84 out of 5 on Goodreads and a 4.4 out of 5 on Amazon. The uh, Okay, this one's problematic. I don't know if I should put Uh-oh. this in books, but it was written. Uh, the satirical <laughs> the satirical newspaper The Onion discussed the massacre in its Uh-oh. article, quote, Columbine jocks safely resume bullying. Mm. That's The Onion for you. Yep, that's The Onion. Um, so Stephen King has cited the massacre as a major reason that he allowed an early novel to fall out of print. Rage, oh. written under the Richard Bachman pen name, also deals with the high school gunman. Allegedly, the book has been on the reading list of four school shooters. Um, however, certain themes in the book were developed into the story that would later become Carrie. King actually first Carrie as the female version of Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold. Oh. Which I did not know. Very no, me neither. Uh, I believe you cannot get the book Rage anywhere. Or if you can, it is very expensive. Because it's, it's eBay. Yeah, it's like way out of print. Um, in September 2000, Misty Bernal wrote She Said Yes, The Unlikely Martyrdom of Cassie Bernal which details her daughter's turbulent teenage life, conversion, and Christian faith. Despite the evidence suggesting that Bernal was not the person asked about God and never spoke to the killers, the book continues to sell well. It actually has a 3.91 out of 5 on Goodreads. Some in the Christian community have openly said that it doesn't matter whether she spoke the words or not. Dave McPherson, pastor at the Bernal's church, said, quote, You will never... Change the story of Cassie. The church is going to stick w- to the martyr story. That's the story that they heard first and circulated for six months uncontested. You can say it didn't happen that way, but the church won't accept it. To the church, Cassie will always say yes, period. Ugh, for fuck's sake. End quote. So, of course she will always say yes because, sorry to sound crass, but she's dead. The girl that actually said yes is alive. And, again... She will always say yes because it fits their narrative. It fits yes. their... Um, he like literally their... said, he said the church is going to stick to the martyr story. Yeah. Yeah. He's Even like, he oh, I choose story. this one. Yes. Whatever. Because it's, how else are they going to get all of the bodies in the seats? Not to, like, obviously, Rachel Scott and Cassie Bernal's death are horrible tragedies. You don't have to make them worse by perpetuating this story. Mm-hmm. The whole event is horrible. You don't have to make it worse. But, you know, jumping on again uh, about Rachel Scott, 
There's a book called Rachel's Tears, The Spiritual Journey of Columbine Martyr Rachel Scott. And it's written by her parents, Daryl Scott and Beth Nimino. Nimimo. Okay. Uh, it's uh, as well as Steve Raby. Uh, he consulted with them. It was published in 2000. It has a 4.12 out of 5 on Goodreads, and it's a nonfiction book about their daughter, her faith, her inspirational journal entries, and the impact of her loss on their lives. Her parents later published two more books inspired by their daughter and her legacy, um, titled Rachel Smiles, The Spiritual Legacy of the Columbine Martyr Rachel Scott, and The Journals of Rachel Joy Scott, The Journey of Faith at Columbine High School. Um, Brooks Brown, who we've mentioned many times survivor and lifelong friend with uh, Dylan Klebold was actually targeted by law enforcement and students after the massacre um, because he was friends with one of the shooters and he reacted to the shooting and its aftermath in his 2002 memoir, no easy answers, the truth behind death at Columbine. It is a four out of five on Goodreads and a 96% on Google. Definitely one to, to read if you can find it at your library or local bookstore. Mm. Um, Susan Klebold, Dylan's mother, published an essay about the aftermath um, of the massacre in a 2009 issue of O Magazine. That's Oprah's magazine. Mm -hmm. It was written, uh, she had also later written a memoir titled A Mother's Reckoning, Living with the Aftermath of a Tragedy. It was released on February 15th, 2016. It is a 4.5 out of 5 on Goodreads and a 95% on Google. She donated the uh, revenue from the book to charities aiming to solve mental health problems. And she has a very informative Ted talk on YouTube. She is, I would definitely read out of the, all of the books. I would read hers. I would read uh, Brooks Brown and I would controversially say, you have to read this last one. And that's Dave Cullen's Columbine. It was released in 2009 and includes an analysis of the massacre and the shooters it has a 4.28 out of 5 on Goodreads and a 76% on Google. It is largely shit on by some of the more enthusiastic Columbiners because Cullen really downplays the bullying of the shooters um, mm. and says that they both had a lot of friends. And um, like we had mentioned in the motives section in part two, uh, he claims that Harris was often a bully himself. Yeah. And he also claims that Harris was the driving force and that Klebold was kind of along for the ride. Again, I don't really jive with this thought. Um, I think no one dragged Klebold into doing it. He no. still he still did it. He still shot people yeah. and he still fired his weapon and uh, still planned it. Um, they definitely were bullied. Um, but yeah, they did have their own group of friends. Um, but again, the perfect storm thing, it was a combination of everything. You can't yep. just say it was one thing. Yep. I would still read the book regardless. Yeah. Um, I actually found what's going to be posted on, um, the website might already have been posted. I have it in a queue, so it's going to post periodically, but, um, some wonderful soul on, uh, Tumblr reviewed basically all of the books, um, regarding Columbine, really wow. in depth. Yeah, they do not like Dave Cullen, but they do give the uh, the book kind of um, an outsider's perspective view on it. Like, tried to give it the benefit of the doubt. So okay. I do appreciate that. Yeah. Um, last, the very last thing I want to say is 
I would say probably three days ago at the time of recording this, <laughs> I found out that the second season of the podcast Confronting, it's by Wondry, um, the first season focused on O.J. Simpson, I believe. And the okay. second season is going to focus on Columbine. And it's going to be hosted oh. by a survivor, Amy Over. Um, it premiered on, for like Wondry like plus subscribers, whatever the premium uh, Wondry service is. Yeah. Um, uh, it premiered on the 20th. But this uh, premiered for like casual listeners, not on any premium service, on May 4th. So at the time of this being released or the time of last episode being released yeah we're recording this early so i don't know when the fourth is <laughs> bean says it was last week so <laughs> he said something you can definitely go listen to it um that is it that is columbine you are raising your hand again I am. I'm. Uh, see, Bean also says, "Let her be heard." He is harassing um, his father to pet him. Well, he deserves it. So, which he am I talking about? Who knows? Yeah. Um, real quick, I know that we had said we'd talk about 19 minutes a little bit in the last. Oh, episode. I totally forgot. Yep, that's 19 okay. minutes. So, 19 minutes is a book by Jody Pico. Um, actually, ironically, the senior honors class of my high school was required to read it as part of summer reading oh wow okay and well and also i was Heavy. in ap and transferred out and when i transferred back into honors people were doing their presentations on it and i was like what the fuck i didn't get to read this i had to read like fucking shitty not shitty Flowers books but Trial you know Trial. ap books no but, 451 no those were like freshman year and they fucked me well, over sorry i think those are uh, my what? sophomore year books meh but um, but no. So Jody P. So the book Nineteen Minutes. It's about a school shooting. Um, it's fictional, but there are parts of it that are said to be similar to the Columbine mm-hmm. um massacre. I will say that there um, are a bunch of like teen drama books that I did not include because it didn't specifically say that it was inspired by Columbine. Again. We have a 45-page document. I could have gone on and on. There are definitely a lot of books that um, have school shootings that have similarities. So if you need more recs, um, I can probably find those in my notes. Right. Just didn't mention those because they weren't Columbine-specific. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I will say Jody Pico did use um, this case in addition to others like as research she she heavily researched these types of incidents for the book but um so long story short basically this 19 minutes focuses on the 19 minutes that it took for a school shooting to occur and goes from the perspective of people who like the parents and the like one of the victims who was friends with the shooter like way before Mm -hmm. everything happened um the lawyer representing him because the shooter lives hi bean <laughs> the shooter he's, lives he's thinking about jumping onto something that he knows he's not allowed <laughs> yeah. to go on and he's going look at me he's eyeballing it mama as long as i look at him he won't do it all right you keep looking at him okay um so, so he lives through the whole thing and so he's put on trial and there's a whole thing and i won't get into it but one of the during the trial the defense that his lawyer uses 
is battered woman syndrome, or it's now called battered person syndrome. And basically what he said was, and I've heard this for school shooter defenders, um, that he was so horribly bullied that he, like a person being abused, kind of snapped and was like, if I get rid of them, if I take out the threat, Mm -hmm. then the threat won't hurt me anymore. Yep. Now, I won't tell you whether or not this flies in court, um, but it is it's a really good book. Like actually like doing these episodes makes me kind of want to dive back into it. I haven't I have it. I own it. I haven't wanted to dive back into it for a very long time, understandably, but um, or at least understandably for me. But um, yeah, it's I I highly recommend it. But I thought it was just very I, I personally don't subscribe to it for this particular situation i think that it was a case of a perfect storm like we've been saying time and time and time again but it's very interesting and she clearly jody pico the author author clearly did like a ton of research yeah into this book and so from that perspective if you're looking for something more fictional because it's it's more palatable and it's it's easier to digest because it's not real then check it out by all means it's very good don't know why they haven't made it into a movie they made fucking my sister's keeper into a movie but not this one but yeah well they did make um one book that's kind of similar into a movie and that's uh we need to talk about kevin yeah um, would definitely recommend that um ezra miller's in it very, i was very gonna good. say and, and we, we uh, tilda swinton i believe t- i believe tilda swinton is yes i believe tilda swinton is in it and Ezra Miller, again, we um, we recommended them for Richard Ramirez in our Who Would We Cast And they episode. were in um, uh, Stanford Prison Experiment. Yes, they were. And yes, 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 yes. among other things, like both versions of the Justice League. But <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, but anyway, yeah, if you need more recs and stuff, and also if you've gone this far and still disagree on some of the, the points we brought up, you can email us. We're crimeculturepod at gmail.com. I'm open to hearing about anything. Again, I did so much research that, like, at some point my brain might have been clouded. I don't know. Um, but definitely um, reach out if you have anything else to add or anything that um, you feel needs to be corrected um, in a non confrontational way, please. Um, <laughs> no such thing. No such thing. Um, but. Yeah, thanks everybody for sticking with it. Um, I know this is a true crime podcast, but these past episodes felt extra heavy. <laughs> so, yep. Uh, I'm not going to say we're going to move on to something lighter next week, but um, maybe, maybe something that's not uh, as just, you know, not a fucking school shooter. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. So, um, thanks for sticking around crimeculturepod at gmail.com again if you want to reach out we also have our website crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com we have facebook instagram and twitter you can go to and uh with that we will see you next tuesday bye bye bean say bye (laughs) all right he says bye I don't know if anyone got that, but sure. He says it's time to fucking go. Bye.